Talk to my friend Drew. And Allen. I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As diehard conservative. I'm to this guy for wisdom. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. Take a look in the five and ten, glistening once again with candy canes and silver lanes aglow. It's beginning to look like March 2020. Fauci wants to lock us down. Listen to the midget speak. His eyes glisten with the power he seeks. It's beginning to look like March 2020. Omicron is all around. Fauci blames the unvaxxed, even though it infected a vaxxed man. Take the vax and shove it up your ass. This is Drew Allen. Welcome to the Drew Allen Show. You're welcome. I thought I would just, uh, well, you're welcome for that, that rare, rare, uh, chance to hear me sing. I thought it was appropriate for this holiday season as uh, it does feel like we're back in March 2020, does it not? Fauci gave his big press conference today. We're going to get into that. I am so sick and tired of this crap. Um, <laughs> I mean, my God. You know, months ago, it was the Delta variant. That was the most dangerous threat uh, you know, to, to American lives in the history of the world. I guess second after white supremacy. But now, you know, Delta didn't scare us enough. Delta uh, lost its powers. Delta proved the vaccine was ineffective, infecting the vaxxed and unvaxxed alike. They tried to blame that on the unvaxxed, of course. And now that the Delta variant has lost its steam, guess what? Now we got a new variant. Omicron. Omicron. So we're all supposed to be fearful of Omicron, which we know so far, based on the doctor in South Africa who who first diagnosed it, for example, and others, that the symptoms are very mild. That means, you know, the Delta variant, which I just recovered from recently, which laid me out in my back for a week and a half. I wish, by the way, I wish I could have waited and just gotten Omicron. If I just waited two weeks, I could have gotten Omicron instead of Delta. My timing was so poor. But nonetheless, whatever, I got the antibodies. But um, I am going to demonstrate uh, once and for all, it won't really be once and for all, but it'll be pretty definitive, uh, what a, a fool Dr. Fauci is. Dr. Fauci, I got to stop calling him Dr. Fauci. I got to come up with a nickname for him. But, you know, we've got Fauci, of course, who claims to represent science. Uh, Dr. Fauci is science. But the truth is, as we all know, is Fauci killed science. That's right. Tiny Tony. I think that's what I'll call him for the moment. Tiny Tony Fauci. Tony the Tiny. Well, this guy, I guess I should introduce to you Tiny Tony uh, with his recent comments about him representing science. I'll, I'll play that clip for you in a recent interview, and then we'll get into... Who Dr. Tiny Tony really is. You know what? You know who Tiny Tony really reminds me of? You watch these old shows, whether it's, you know, on Hulu, they got The Great, which takes place in Russia. 
couple hundred years ago, back when they had uh, emperors and so on and so forth. Catherine the Great is the premise of that. And, um, I mean, you can pick any of those shows, but they bring the doctors in, right? And the medicine at the time is hysterical to us, right? They, they use leeches, they do the, you know, the, the, for any illness, right, they bleed you out, they cut you open, and they believe that the disease and the illness is going to just pour out of you, drain out of you, uh, and any number of insane measures to try and get you healthy. In the great, by the way, this series, which I'm enjoying, it's very, very dark, but it's hilarious. You know, they put a, a, a mouse on top of Catherine's uh, belly. She's pregnant, and... Uh, in, in order to to protect the pregnancy and protect the baby, uh, they believe that putting a mouse on her belly, for example, is going to uh, uh, keep keep the baby healthy. Things like that. But that that's what Tony, Tiny Tony, those are his beliefs. He doesn't represent science. He 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 is like those uh, doctors in the Dark Ages. They didn't know what they were doing. They just made stuff up as they went along. Of course, he's more insidious because he's not genuine about it. He's not really interested in public health and safety. He just says what is necessary to stoke fear. Fear, because that's a very, very effective means of controlling the American people and the populace, especially as we move forward in 2022 and we get closer to the midterm elections, that the Democrats know they're going to get shellacked in. There's a very, very real chance that we take back, we'll certainly take back the House and possibly the Senate as well. And the Democrats don't have anything. They can't, I mean, this entire administration is an abject disaster and failure. And the silver lining, of course, in our suffering is that Americans are waking up to the fact that this administration is an abject disaster. And when that happens cyclically, well, two things occur. Uh, Democrats aren't excited to come out and vote for Democrats. Uh, the uh, opposition is, is more engaged and more active in terms of getting involved in voting. And then the Democrats are also losing their own voter base amidst all of this because people are hurting. So anyway, here is Fauci in a recent interview. Anybody who's looking at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. So if they get up and criticize science, nobody's going to know what they're talking about. But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there. So it's easy to criticize. But they're really criticizing science because I represent science. I'm not going to sit here and comment on that entire interview. You heard it. You felt, perceived, had the same thoughts as me. What an arrogant individual. Am I correct? Anything you say, any doctor that disagrees with Dr. Fauci, tiny Fauci, tiny Tony, I mean, uh, well, they're anti-science. And we are dangerous. He's not dangerous with his unscientific remarks, but we are. This guy who has been wrong throughout this entire quote-unquote pandemic. Think about this. What did locking down for a year do for us? What did it do? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. We did it for nothing. It didn't achieve anything for us before we had the vaccine and after we had the vaccine. 
the, the result is the exact same. People get sick. More people have died, as I've talked about in the last episode, and that you know, more people have died, more Americans have died from COVID under the Biden administration than they did under the Trump administration in 2020. That is despite having vaccines and having tens of millions of Americans fully vaccinated, doing exactly what we're told. We locked down. It didn't do anything. We masked up. It didn't do anything. We're still doing the same things. And guess what? People get infected because it's a virus. But there's Fauci, right? I represent science, he says. Now, I've got plenty of clips to play, so I'm not going to play a clip of this. I'm just going to read this to you. So he gets asked in this press conference, and it's been a while since he's been up there behind the, uh, uh, the bully pulpit there, and you see how much he relishes it and enjoys it. In fact, he's much more confident than Joe Biden ever has been behind it. But he looks, he looks like he's comfortable. He's in his element, <clears throat> being the dictator, <clears throat> being in charge. Uh, but anyway, so he gets asked about this, this, this new... Uh, Omicron variant, and this is what he says, encouraging uh, getting the vaccine and booster shots, even though, I got to say this too, as I said in my beautiful sing-along, my serenade to you, my friends and family out there, the, the individual in California who was diagnosed with Omicron was fully vaccinated. H- how, do, how do you figure there? A fully vaccinated person is the first person diagnosed with Omicron. So here we are. The message is, we got to get vaccinated. It, it defies logic. It, get, it gets onerous even talking about it because it's so obvious how stupid it is. <clears throat> but anyway, so he's talking about, he says, and that's the reason why we feel, even though we don't have a lot of data on it, there's every reason to believe that that kind of increase that you get with a boost would be helpful. So what he's saying is, we have no data right now that would lead us to believe that having a booster shot We have zero data on this. Getting a booster shot would protect you against this new variant, Omicron. And despite admitting that we don't have data on it, he says there's every reason to believe that getting a booster shot would be helpful. How how can you claim to represent science when you make such an unscientific and frankly stupid comment? I mean, these are the people, right? You know, I always encourage people, and it's my belief, if you don't have the answer to something, you say, I don't know. That's an adequate response. But for Fauci, he knows everything without knowing anything. This is how dangerous this man is to science. So he goes on. uh, You know, he says, you know, getting the boost would be helpful, at least in preventing severe disease of a variant like Omicron, Fauci said. So right now, Fauci says, I would not be waiting. Let me do this right. So right now, I would not be waiting. People say, well... If we're going to have a booster-specific vaccine, should we wait? If you are eligible, think six months with a double mRNA dose or two months for the J&J. Get boosted now. We may not need a variant-specific boost. We're preparing for the possibility that we need a very specific boost. And, and that, 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 that's what the companies are doing, Fauci added. But the, but the mistake people would make is to say, let, let me wait to see. If we get one, Fauci added. So here we go. They are working on uh, apparently these vaccine companies that we pay for, that we have driven their stock up, 
made them more profitable than they've ever been with our taxpayer dollars. So right now he says, I wouldn't wait. Just go ahead and get the booster for Omicron. You know, even though we might be having to develop a booster-specific vaccine because it's not going to work on the Omicron, just go ahead and get the booster anyway. So get boosted now is his message. Get vaccinated now, even though a vaccinated, fully vaccinated American got Omicron. And he says it's a mistake for people, you know, like me, to say, uh, well, I wouldn't even say this because I'm not going to get the vaccine. I had COVID. I don't care. But, you know, he says it's a mistake if people say, let me wait to see if we get one. So waiting to see if the booster is effective in the long term at uh, preventing the uh, contraction of this new variant is stupid. Just get the vaccine and we'll find out later. This is how you notice how the, the Democrats always are, right? This is like out of their playbook. You know, let's just pass the bill. We won't read it and we'll find out what's in it later. Just get the vaccine and get the booster, and we'll find out what the the detrimental effects might be down the road. Get the vaccine. It may not work. We'll find out later. They don't ever want to wait for the facts, the results. That's not science. There's no science happening here. Um, But I got another uh, another clip of Fauci here. So Peter Ducey, who is the reporter of The People today over at Fox News, uh, he asked Dr. Fauci, shoot, I got to get out of that habit. He asked uh, Tiny Tony um, a great question. He says, "As you advise, I'm going to read the. I'm going to read what Peter Ducey said, and then I'll play what what Fauci said in response." So Ducey asked, "As you advise the president about the possibility of new testing requirements for people coming into this country, does that include everybody?" Now, of course, Ducey's smart. He's setting him up. Does that include everybody? Who is everybody? Well, of course, Ducey's thinking like we are. What about the open borders? What about our open southern border? This whole time, none of this has added up or made any sense because COVID is so dangerous and we've got to prevent the spread. So every American has to be vaccinated. The unvaxxed are a danger, a threat to Americans. Fauci says if you're going to spend holiday or go to a gathering— With a group of people, if you find out you're in the presence of someone not vaccinated, I would wear a mask to protect yourself. Right? And yet at the southern border, illegal immigrants are pouring into this country. Many of them, when they actually get tested, are testing positive for COVID, and they're just being pushed along. So COVID's so dangerous, it's so important that we have a zero COVID scenario in which we eradicate COVID from existence. Unless you're an illegal immigrant, then we don't even bother to look. It's okay for illegals to come in and be unvaccinated. There's no talk about that danger. It's all about the unvaccinated American. Of course, a double standard. No standards at all. But that's the question, all right? So as you advise the president about the possibility of new testing requirements for people coming into this country, Ducey asks, does that include everybody? Here's Fauci's response. The answer is yes, because you know that the new uh, uh, the new uh, uh, regulation, if you want to call it that, is that anybody and everybody who's coming into the country needs to get a test within 24 hours of getting on the plane to come here. But what about people who don't take a plane and just these border crossers coming in in huge numbers? You know, that's a different issue. For example, when you talk, we still have Title 42. So there you have it. Fauci says, well, that's different. And he goes on and he drops nominally Title 42. Title 42, look, this, this is a clause 
that's in the 1944 Public Health Services Law, all right? And it's what allows for the expulsion of illegal immigrants during a public health crisis. We're not going to get into all this. It's absurd to me anyway that you have to have a uh, public you know, health services law that gives us permission to expel illegal immigrants from our own country. But nonetheless, there it is. Now, that was used under Trump, of course, as one of the means to direct these illegal immigrants back to Mexico. Also, it worked hand in hand, of course, with the uh, remain in Mexico policy and all that. Now, now, look, Fauci, the, the, the Democrats, the reason, how do I say this? So, Joe Biden is allegedly, and this has been a fake controversy from the Washington Post and other left-leaning outlets out there that are saying, oh, you know, how can, how can Joe Biden continue Continue to enforce Title 42, a policy that Trump used. But the reality is he's not enforcing Title 42, right? They're not being expelled. We know this. It's arbitrary. Maybe a couple get expelled here and there so they can say they're expelling these migrants, but we've got close to a million or over that by now who have come into this country illegally just in the last year since Joe Biden's been in office. So Title 42 is not being used. But the reason they haven't taken it off the books, so to speak, the reason they continue to pretend, and the reason you hear Fauci, for example, here say, well, that's different. You know, we have Title 42, so we're addressing the problem at the border, is just so they can kind of work around the truth of what's actually happening. So as long as they pretend to expel a couple of migrants and illegal immigrants here and there under Title 42... As long as they haven't, you know, revoked Title 42, they can, they can just say, oh, yeah, look, we're enforcing Title 42. And so that's what Fauci does there, too. So he doesn't address the issue at the border. He just tries to blow it off and say, well, that's different because we're using Title 42 to deal with that. They're not using Title 42. But Title 42 exists, and so it's just a way for them to pretend Pretend that they're addressing the issue in some way at the border when they are, in fact, not. But there you go. I mean, he can't answer the question. He tells Ducey, you heard it there. Well, yeah, it's important that we do all this. And Ducey says, what about the, the illegal immigrants, you know? How is, it, how, how, how is it only a problem when you come in on an airplane from a foreign country lawfully as a tourist? You're addressing that, but not the southern border. Well, that's, that's, that's different. And then he throws out Title 42. So none, none of that's taking place. None of that's taking place whatsoever. But there is a teachable moment in all of this. If we look back at the collective experience that we have all had since March of 2020, it is a window into communism. It is a window into totalitarianism. And it is a window into how the Democratic Party has always operated. Um, look, we started with 15 days to slow the spread. And then it was just wear masks and socially distance. And then we slowly open up, and it's now we just have to get vaccinated. And then they push, well, you can't have a job or participate in society if you don't get vaccinated. And by the way, every time, look, when we gave in to 15 days to slow the spread, that was when we sealed our fate. That is the way we opened up the door 
and they forced their way in, and we haven't recovered since. So it went from 15 days to slow the spread to get vaccinated or lose your job and your ability to participate in society. And by the way, now at Amherst University, which is, I believe, in Massachusetts, uh, students have to get the booster shot as a prerequisite um, to being a student there. So the vaccine isn't enough. Now it's a booster shot. But look, the reason they are going through the motions in this administration now of doing the same things Trump did which is banning flights, right, out of South Africa and numerous other African countries, for example, in the name of protecting the American people from the Omicron variant. The reason they're doing that, they know that it's going to have no impact or effect on protecting us because we already did this. In March of 2020, we stopped flights from Europe shortly after we stopped flights from China. And what impact did that have? None whatsoever. When Trump did it, they called him xenophobic. They called it fear-mongering. Well, now they are fear-mongering, and they know it. They know it won't do anything, but the reason they do it is because it hits, it gets headlines, it's big news, it's a big step that makes the American people think there's something to fear. Oh my gosh, Omicron, they're shutting down flights to these countries. In order to protect us, it must be dangerous. We must fear this. Now, notice they're not shutting down flights yet from Europe. They're not shutting down flights from other places. They're not securing the southern border, just like all along. It's all about the theatrics. And that's what's sickening about all of this. You know, Fauci and the Democrat Party and these bureaucrats, well, they gaslight us. They only put their masks on when the cameras are around. Joe Biden was just caught in probably an ice cream store in Nantucket. I don't know. But some store. There's a picture of him in a, in, in a store. Outside it says mask required. And he's not wearing a mask indoors. And we talk about the theater of all this. And Fauci comes back and says masks are not theater. We're anti-science. And yet when they don't think we're watching... They don't, they don't live by their own rules and expectations for all of us. And the message is continually, Americans aren't doing enough. It's our fault that COVID exists. It's our fault that, that look, COVID didn't shut us down. COVID didn't create two classes of citizens. The Democrat Party and many Republicans, and the bureaucracy, and our government did that. They're responsible for the suffering. They're responsible for the lockdowns. COVID didn't lock us down. They locked us down, and we agreed to go along with it. And ever since, I mean, they've never had so much power in their lives. They've never had the opportunity to to achieve so easily under the guise of one thing, health and public safety, all of their totalitarian ambitions. And it's never going to end. I mean, look, Rochelle Walensky back, I don't know, many months ago, 
when the Delta strain was, was, was first discovered, she went on Good, Good Morning America and she said, as worrisome as this Delta strain is with regard to its hypertransmissibility, our vaccines work. But they didn't work because the vaccinated still got the Delta strain. And now it's the same repeat. I mean, are we an insane people to go along with this again? I mean, the answer is yes. We have to resist. We have to say enough is enough because this is never, ever going to end. Listen to what Dr. Fauci said back in February, by the way. People are worried. Should they be worried? Are they worried unnecessarily? And what what should they be doing? I I don't think people should be frightened. I mean, uh, the, the risk right now, today, currently, is really relatively low for the American public. But that and that was back in February of 2020, the end of February, I believe. Uh, when he gave that statement. There's nothing to fear. But he wasn't attacked for downplaying the virus. Trump basically said the same thing. And he was attacked for downplaying it later on. But Fauci got a clear pass. And remember, Fauci was the one who was advising this administration. Fauci's the reason we shut down. He's the one who was leading the effort to get in Trump's ear and say, oh my gosh, now we have a big problem. And so Fauci, of course, is blameless in all this, right? He's still making the rounds. He's still working in his capacity, the highest paid person in the entire federal government. He's the one out there telling us what we should do with regard to Omicron. And yet he was among the first to say there's nothing to worry about. But he has permission to change his mind every day, depending on how he wakes up and how he feels. But back to the lesson here from COVID. Look, they made the government, they made life so unbearable for so many Americans that the weak, the weak amongst us, the weak in society were begging and screaming for relief. And who were they going to for the relief? The government. Look how they divided Americans over this. Look how they they created hatred against our fellow brothers and sisters in America, the unvaxxed versus the vaxxed. And that's what they're doing still. Because look, we don't have pure communism in this country yet. They can't pass legislation. They don't have de facto majorities that would be needed to exact the revenge on the American people and bring about their wildest totalitarian ambitions which is one-party rule, the eradication of the middle class, and basically to rule over us in perpetuity and to rule like kings and queens and emperors who just tell us, the American people, what we can and cannot do to grant us our rights. But with this, they can. They locked down and forced the shuttering of businesses. In communist countries, they take over the means of production, for example. They manipulate everything. They're in charge of everything. They're the ones who are divvying out bread. They're the ones telling people what they can and can't do, what jobs they qualify for. Look at China. They've got a social credit system. If you get this score, you qualify for this level of work. You can be a manager. But if your score is lower, a B or a C, well, you can only be a janitor. If it's lower, we'll throw you in a work camp. But that's essentially what they're doing here with COVID. So at any moment, through the use of the media 
And these spokespeople like Fauci and Biden and this administration, they stoke fear. And at any moment, they could suggest locking down again if they want to. And if you live in a blue state, they'll do it outright. They don't have that power over us in our constitutional system, but they seized it. And worse, we gave it to them. We gave them the permission, and now here we are. We're still masking in blue states, despite the fact that evidence showed it didn't work. People got vaccinated, but that wasn't good enough. Now you have to get the booster shot. Do you see how they're controlling us with this virus? It's never going to be enough. They'll always hold that leverage over our head until we say we're done. Life is going on. You don't have any power. We have to return a constitutionality in which the American people, and look, we're responsible for this as much as they are. We have to take back what we gave them and they have yet to give back to us. Because in our country, we the people are master and their servant, but they're acting like master and like we're their servant. On a whim, they can do whatever they want to us. It doesn't work that way in America. We are not Australia. We are not Germany. We are not going to be sent away to quarantine camps, unvaccinated camps, where we are held against our will. That's not going to happen and fly here. But that's where we are, and that's what the point of all this is. And so if you look at all their policies, look, they are responsible for the rampant inflation. They're responsible for the supply chain crisis. They are responsible, the Democrat Party presently, for unaffordable gas prices. Why are they unaffordable suddenly? Well, they have made it impossible, and they are attacking the oil and gas industries. They're making it cost-prohibitive for these companies that provide the natural resources that we depend upon to heat our homes, to drive our cars, and basically to do everything we engage in as a comfort in life in this country. Well, they're limiting it based on their policies. Joe Biden shut down the Keystone Pipeline. Joe Biden is the one who created new executive orders that attacked the oil and gas industry. He's the one making it more expensive than, for them to drill. He's the one prohibiting them from, from drilling on federal land. He's the one responsible for these rising prices. The Democrat Party is making Americans suffer so that they're so uncomfortable, in such agony, that they will start to believe that Oh my gosh, look, look what they do with the Build Back Better plan that they're trying to get passed, which will fundamentally transform America. Well, now they say, oh, if we pass the Build Back Better plan, it will solve inflation. That's a lie. They weren't saying that before, but now that inflation has reared its ugly head and can't be ignored or denied and is continuing to get worse and worse and worse, and it's not transitory, they've even had to admit that it looks like it's here to stay. Well, now they're saying, oh, look, we created this. We're worsening it. We want to spend and print more money. But look, if we pass our agenda, it'll solve inflation. I'm waiting for them, by the way, with bated breath. When will they say, if we just pass the Build Back Better plan, if you just vote for more Democrats, we will get rid of COVID. That's what they've been promising all along. But they make these promises knowing they won't solve them. 
in order to retain power for themselves. And that's what's happening here with now Omicron. Omicron's here. We just got to get vaccinated. And then everyone gets vaccinated and it's, well, look, we're developing a new booster that's going to solve Omicron and then there'll be a new strain. And so every step of the way, they are holding over our heads the threat over our lives, our livelihoods, over our rights, our unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, you can only have those rights if you do exactly what we say. Get the vaccine. You get the vaccine. Now it's get the booster. I mean, I'm incredulous over this, as you should be too. But this is Drew Allen, and uh, I'm going to take a short break. I'll be right back. we got a lot to get into. Juicy, Jesse Smollett. Uh, that's a big one. Uh, he's in a lot of trouble here. I'm going to play a clip of, of how he told the story three years ago when he hired two black Nigerians to assault him in the street, and he left with a little scratch on his, his face. And now it turns out that, uh, of course, he trained them. He bought everything for them. It's coming out in this new uh, lawsuit. She let go of my We've got, uh, what else? What else? So much to get into. You don't want to miss it. I'll be right back. I'd sure like to know why she did go, but I can't get close to her at all. Though we kissed through the wild blazing that time, she said, I can't she understand. Two blacks kicked my ass and left me there with my tuna sandwich in hand. A noose around my neck, shouted MAGA as they ran. Though I bought him a noose and trained him to kick my ass and told him what to say, why don't nobody believe me? So Juicy Smollett there, you're welcome for another serenade. This Don't, don't get used to this, by the way. This is not going to be a frequent occurrence, unless it's by popular demand. I could do this all day. Uh, man of many talents here. Renaissance man, I call myself. Renaissance Drew. So anyway, you know, I'm talking about Juicy Smollett there. I know it's Jesse, but I like Juicy. I think that's, uh, coined by, uh, well, the, the great comedian, Dave Chappelle. So anyway, Juicy Smollett, right? This happened in 2019. I mean, this was all over the news, right? The, the Juicy Smollett hoax. Now, remember what happened. I'm, I'm actually gonna... I'm going to refresh your memory with Juicy Smollett. So he got his butt kicked in Chicago. He'd flown into Chicago. He allegedly was hungry, went to get a tuna sandwich from Subway. And on his way back to his hotel or apartment or whatever it was, two, two, uh, <laughs> two individuals wearing red Donald Trump MAGA hats, who I believe he told the police, at least one of whom was white, well, they yelled anti-black and homophobic slurs. They splashed him with bleach. They wrapped a noose around his neck, and they said, this is MAGA country. Everyone knows Chicago, Illinois is MAGA country. And uh, us MAGA uh, supporters, Trump supporters out there, we walk around in the dead of night in the hearts of liberal Democrat cities like Chicago, brazenly, boldly wearing our red hats, without fear of any kind of retribution from psychopathic Democrats. And we yell, this is MAGA country, while we splash black individuals with beach, bleach and wrap nooses around their neck. Of course, it was, a, it was a very credible story from the beginning, right? There's a reason that Juicy Smollett is, uh, is not a screenwriter and isn't responsible for any storylines because, well, they suck. They're not believable. And of course, it turned out that it wasn't believable. We knew when they investigated... Uh, that he paid 
these two individuals, these MAGA supporters, they were two black Nigerians, bodybuilders, huge guys, by the way, huge guys. Uh, well, he paid them and bought them the noose, bought them the clothes they were wearing, dressed them up, and paid them to kick his butt, except they didn't really kick his butt because in the hospital, this loser, Juicy, he takes a selfie of himself, and you can look up the photo. I remember this. It was hilarious. So he was a victim of uh, MAGA abuse, and he had a little scratch on his face. It looks like uh, he, he, he cut himself while shaving. That was the, uh, the result of his injuries. So anyway, I want to play uh, what Juicy Smollett said in the aftermath. So bold was, was he in his lies. And of course, the media was ready to eat it up because they loved the narrative, right? A couple of MAGA, uh, uh, MAGA hat-wearing Trump supporters beat up a black liberal Democrat in Chicago in the dead of night in the freezing winter. But here's Juicy Smollett uh, with uh, Robin, I forget her last name. I'll remember it in a minute. I heard, as I was crossing the intersection, I heard Empire. I don't answer to Empire. <laughs> My name ain't Empire. Uh, and I didn't answer. I kept walking and then I heard Empire. So I turned around and I said, the did you just say to me? I mean, I see the uh, attacker uh, masked. And he said, this MAGA country punches me right in the face. So there you have Juicy Smollett's uh, very compelling, compelling story of what happened to him that night is he was the victim of MAGA abuse. Now, flash forward. Now, we know this was not uh, accurate. We know it was proven untrue by the police. And, of course, uh, they had an issue with the district attorney there. Uh, Kimberly Fox, I believe was her name. She was a big Michelle uh, Obama friend. And she basically let him off without any charges, despite knowing this. Well, now they're back in court. And so they're on, he's on trial in Chicago for lying to cops about this alleged uh, attack, which is a hoax. But he is still, still contends that he's the real victim. Despite the evidence, despite everything we know, his attorney, I mean, this brings back memories of the Rittenhouse trial, for example, how poor, I mean, they don't have a case. We already know what happened. And yet they are doubling down on stupidity. So... It turns out, by the way, so Dan Webb, who's the special prosecutor who was brought in to replace the compromised district attorney, Kim Fox. Uh, well, Dan Webb, who apparently is not corrupt, he's claimed that Smollett conceived of the hoax, which we knew. But not only that, not only did he buy them all the noose, buy them all the paraphernalia that was used. Well, Smollett held a dress rehearsal with the two brothers. Uh, Abimbola and Olabinjo Ozundairo, whatever their name is. They're Nigerian. And he, he, he told them, apparently, to shout racial. He, taught, he gave them the script. He hired them as actors and gave them the script of what to say. Told them to say, this is MAGA country, B. So he bankrolled this whole thing. He gave the brothers the cash to buy the props, the red hats, the rope, those ski masks. And... Um, Apparently, they were originally going to use gasoline, but they decided that was too dangerous. And so they, they bought bleach instead. So it, honestly, you know what it sounds like? They went off script here. Smollett seems to have instructed them to buy gasoline, and the brothers made the decision, eh, maybe we should just do bleach on the guy. 
And so it's been three years since that uh, January 2019 hoax. And lo and behold, uh, what do we have now? We have his defense. And this is going to be fun because the Nigerian brothers are going to testify during the trial. I cannot wait to hear their side of things. Let, let, let's see if they, uh, if they give this the treatment of the Kyle Rittenhouse case where they broadcast it for all Americans to see. I hope so. I'll watch it. But anyway, uh, Smollett's defense attorney, Ninye Uche, or Uche, well, he's still outlining for the jurors the way his client was victimized by these two Nigerians, who were, by the way, extras on the set of the T-series, TV series Empire. That's, that's the crappy series that Smollett was an actor on. So he knew them from being extras on the set. And so the attorney apparently warned the jurors. That would be Smollett's defense. He warned the jurors already that they're not going to like these two Nigerians. They're sophisticated, highly intelligent criminals. That's his case. That's his case. And, and <clears throat> furthermore, Smollett's pathetic defense is saying that, well, you know, <laughs> this is how bad it is. Juicy, you know, he wasn't on camera in the, the drugstore buying these items for the tech. He wasn't there. It was just the two Nigerians that were there. So I guess that means something, despite the fact that Juicy Smollett gave them a $3,500 check for services rendered. But the defense is claiming that was for meal planning services. So the evidence is going to show, don't you know, Smollett was not involved in planning the attack. This is going to be exciting. <clears throat> but remember how the media, they ran with this story. They put him on all the different news networks to share his story and talk about the racist MAGA supporters that beat him up. And, um, you know, these, uh, these Nigerian MAGA supporters, they are about as dangerous as the January 6th insurrectionists. I mean, the, the insurrection on January 6th was so, so fearsome, so fearsome that pretty much nothing happened except that one of the insurrectionists was shot dead unarmed. But um, these Nigerians were so fearsome too and, and so scary that um, Juicy Smollett had to go to the hospital with a scratch on his face. The Juicy Smollett hoax is the equivalent of the January 6th hoax. Have you ever seen a more dangerous group of Nigerian attackers, MAGA attackers that leave one little scratch on Juicy Smollett's face? And the insurrectionists were so close, so close to overthrowing the American government that they walked freely through the doors of the Capitol halls that were open for them. And they went into Nancy Pelosi's office and put their feet on her desk. That's how close Nancy Pelosi came to death. Feet on her desk. Um, but that's the reality of this absurd situation. And that's how they, 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 they fabricate these narratives. They did the same thing with Juicy Smollett, the same thing they did with the January 6th hoax. And you know what the new story is, by the way, from CNN and the left out there? Amidst everything happening right now, all the corruption, we got Bobolinsky. Bobolinsky, who was a, uh, uh, worked alongside Hunter Biden, was a partner of his, I believe, in one of these transactions, these businesses. He's the one that broke the story that, yeah, 
I can tell you that the big guy, the 10% for the big guy, that's Joe Biden. Well, he's coming out soon. He's going to do another interview where he lays it out explicitly. But amidst all of these very real scandals going on, do you know what the leftist media is focused on? Well, it turns out that before, before one of the presidential debates with Joe Biden, Donald Trump had tested positive for COVID. That's right. That's right. He was standing 12 feet away from Joe Biden at a debate, having apparently already tested positive for COVID. Now, nothing came of that, regardless if that story is true or not. Uh, Joe Biden didn't get COVID from Trump. Nothing happened that night. But now we're going back in time. Now we're going back in time and again focusing on Donald Trump. Let me see if I can find this story for you, actually. It's quite interesting to the extent that it exposes how stupid and how empty-handed the left is and how obsessed they are still with their Trump derangement syndrome. So I'm going to read this story from NBC News, all right? So there's a new tell-all book coming out, right? Because that's all these leftists, these corrupt deep state bureaucrats are. They all come out with a book that has all this damning information about Donald Trump. So allegedly, Donald Trump tested positive for COVID-19 three days before his first presidential debate against Joe Biden, with a subsequent pre-debate test coming back negative. How about that? He, he has a false positive, potentially, so he gets tested again before the debate, and it comes back negative. So he goes out, which makes sense. That's science. But three sources familiar with this matter have confirmed Wednesday. Former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows revealed Trump's positive test in a new book, first reported by The Guardian. The Guardian, by the way, is, uh, well, I don't know, whatever. Uh, so it, it cited this in an excerpt. So in the book, get this, this is insane. The, this is outlandish. I cannot believe Trump. Meadows said Trump seemed a little tired, and he suspected that he might have a slight cold before he found out about the positive result on his way to a rally in Pennsylvania. Trump tested positive again on October 1st and was hospitalized. So Trump denied that he was sick at the time of the first positive result. He said, The story of me having COVID prior to or during the first debate is fake news. In fact, a test revealed that I did not have COVID prior to the debate. And he's telling the truth. Three days before, he tested positive. He didn't have any symptoms. So before the debate, to be sure and safe and responsibly, took another test and it said it was negative. And he didn't feel sick. So this is what the left has. This is what they're focused on. They're focused on the fact that Donald Trump tested negative for COVID before debating Joe Biden in the first presidential debate. What a news story. What, what, I mean, it's too bad we can't impeach him over this, right? We can't impeach Donald Trump because he tested negative for COVID before a debate with Joe Biden. This is, this is news. This is journalism today, folks. This is where we are. All right, I'm going to take one short break, and we're going to talk about the abortion case before the Supreme Court. Um, you know, that, that's a big, big battle going on. I've got some audio uh, from, from Justice uh, Clarence Thomas, and... He basically summarizes brilliantly what the issue is with Roe v. Wade to begin with in a few short words. All right, Mr. Allen, I'll be right back.
we're back at it to close out. So Roe v. Wade, of course, is one of the most contentious issues of our time. Uh, It's very divisive. There are entrenched factions. People that fight tooth and nail to say and declare that abortion is a right afforded to them by the Constitution. That it is their right, their body, their choice, if they get pregnant, to take the life of the baby inside them because they don't want to have it. And then there are those in this country, mostly conservatives, evangelicals, Christians, who believe that life begins at conception. This, of course, and Catholicism has long, long, long uh, been the, the belief of the Catholic Church. And so that's what we're up against. And it's been a long, long time since any case has come to the Supreme Court that could potentially take us back to a pre-Roe v. Wade society. Now, it's not a ban on abortion. That's what the left wants you to think. It would return the decision about abortion to the states. States' rights. Uh, This is very uncontentious, actually. The real contention is a conversation about whether there should be abortion to begin with, except in very rare cases of rape or incest and so on and so forth, or threats to the mother's life. But that's not even what we're talking about here. So what's going on is Mississippi back in 2018, I believe it was, they passed uh, a law that would ban most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. That's what we call the the fetal heartbeat ban. Now, many states have done this or sought to do this. And what happens time and time again is lower federal courts that are comprised of leftists, activist judges, like Kagan, like a Sotomayor, like a Breyer, these people, well, they strike it down. Now, they they don't actually have the ability to strike the law down, but they put a stay on it. So the law is on the books, but as long as that court is made up of those leftists, uh, they don't allow it to to be enforced, is essentially what takes place. And the left, of course, has always been totalitarian. They don't believe in states' rights. They want a behemoth, top-down government that is led... pardon me, by the uh, Washington, D.C., and they dictate to all 50 states what they can and cannot do. So you have no autonomy at the state level. They want to control everything. And so now this 2018 Mississippi law, which was blocked by the lower federal courts, well, it's made its way to the Supreme Court. And the left is worried. The media is worried. They have headlines like, Supreme Court signals willingness to uphold abortion limits in Mississippi case. Now, let me be clear. Uh, Most mothers will tell you who have gone through the process and had sonograms, you can detect a heartbeat actually before 15 weeks. But nonetheless, 15 weeks is what Mississippi wanted to put the ban at. So they're not even outlawing and banning abortions. They're just saying at 15 weeks, you can't do it unless, obviously, those things we we all kind of accept. If the life's mother's at risk, if there's extreme problems, and and, and so on and so forth. But um, we are a very savage society. There are nine countries 
that legalize abortion after five months. Now, we're talking about 15 weeks here is what they want to, to put the ban on. But in this country, we have states. Uh, we legalize abortion in the United States after five months. Uh, we are joined by the other um, <laughs> admirable countries like Canada, North Korea, and China. There are others in the mix, but our abortion laws are on par with those found in North Korea and China. What great company we keep, am I right? So, as it stands, fetal viability is the generic term for when abortions uh, are no longer permissible. That would be up to 24 to 28 weeks. Well after five months. Fetal viability. When that fetus can survive on its own outside the mother's womb. So that's a very, very developed unborn human being. And so states like Mississippi are saying, no, no. 15 weeks, when you can detect a heartbeat, we are not permitting people to have abortions. But before 15 weeks, you can still legally get an abortion. And the fact of the matter is, there is no constitutional right for abortion. We can all read the Constitution ourselves. First Amendment, Second Amendment, Third Amendment, Fourth Amendment, and so on and so forth. There is not an amendment that says a woman has the right to abortion. It's not there. And I want to play what uh, Justice Clarence Thomas said. Thomas said. I understand we're talking about abortion here. But what is confusing is that we, if, if we were talking about the Second Amendment, I know exactly what we're talking about. If we're talking about the Fourth Amendment, I know what we're talking about. Because it's written, it's there. What specifically is the right here? It's the right of a woman prior to viability to control whether to continue with a pregnancy, yes. So, I skipped uh, 30 seconds or so of her going through her arguments there. Uh, just to spare you, it's not interesting. It's the same old tropes we hear time and time again since Roe v. Wade. Uh, the 14th Amendment, privacy rights, and so on and so forth, which, which don't correlate to abortion and pregnancy whatsoever. But there he, uh, he, he puts her in a corner, and he, he, wants to, he wants her to answer. Where is this mysterious right to abortion? And she says, well, what I'm talking about is the right for a woman uh, you know, to have abortion up until fetal viability. And he says, thank you. So right there in the opening oral arguments, it's determined it's not in the Constitution. There is no mysterious alleged right for an abortion in our constitutional laws. And, you know, these uh, leftists on the, on, the, on the Supreme Court have really revealed themselves as savages. Um, they uh, are also revealing themselves to be fools. And despite their alleged constitutional, uh, well, being experts of the Constitution, they don't understand constitutionality whatsoever. I should better and more accurately say that they reject the Constitution. They know what it says, but they don't care because they're activists. 
And that's the point. So they've made stupid, stupid arguments, such as, you know, basically stare decisis, right? Well, you know, every time we have a new, a new, you know, court makeup, how can we, uh, how can we just, just change every time? So here, here's, here's, for example, what I'm talking about. Justice Sonia Sotomayor asked, will this institution survive the stench that this creates in the public perception that the Constitution and its reading are just political acts. I don't see how it's possible. So she's saying, oh, well, you know, when a leftist jur- when a leftist Supreme Court makes a decision, it stands forever. If a conservative court comes in and they want to change it, well, those are just political acts. Now, the point is, they're trying to argue that a woman has a right to an abortion. My body, my choice. Uh, They're making claims that because the Supreme Court once ruled in Roe v. Wade unconstitutionally that you could have abortions and they also set up the gestation periods in which it was appropriate, well, because that decision was made, it can't be changed. And yet other brilliant points were made by the more conservative-leaning justices on the Supreme Court that if that were the case and that were true, we would still have slavery. Blacks wouldn't be considered human beings or American citizens because the Supreme Court once ruled, for example, that blacks didn't have rights. So that's also off the table. And I I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know. But if the court rules in favor of the pro-life camp, all that will happen is we'll go back to pre-Roe status, which means abortion laws will be left up to the states. I don't see how that's so offensive to anyone. You know, my problem in this whole discussion anyway has always been that there is no responsibility for the individual who becomes pregnant. You know, it's, it's interesting You had a group of activists outside the Supreme Court today who were popping abortion pills. Now, you know it's organized because one was a white girl with some kind of dyed hair. One one girl was black and the other was Asian. So, you know, they set up this this rainbow of Americans who are popping abortion pills. And the fact that they're popping abortion pills, which should help and prevent uh, pregnancy, why do we need to push abortions up to 24 to 28 weeks. We have birth control. We have condoms. We have all these things that can be used to prevent pregnancy. And the reason we have so many abortions is because they're encouraged. If a woman knew that there were consequences, inescapable consequences, in which they had to accept responsibility for the child, they might think twice about engaging an irresponsible behavior that would lead one to become pregnant. That's the real conversation we need to be having. Yes, there have always been abortions in small, small amounts, but now they are rampant because, because of the encouragement of abortions, the easiness with which one can attain it, and the messaging that the child inside you is not a baby, Just kill it. It's no big deal. 
And if you look at the Constitution, you know, we all have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Does a child not have those rights? This is the fundamental question. I don't want to live in a world in which we look so callously at the unborn life. Because all of us, all of you listening to me, me speaking here right now, while we have the ability to speak and be here, you have the ability to listen to me now because we were not aborted. And here we are. And so that's the crux for me. That's the crux for me. We act as if every, every woman who gets pregnant is Mother Mary. They're walking down the street or asleep one night. Bang, they wake up and suddenly they're pregnant. They didn't do anything. It's not their fault. They didn't take any irresponsible action to get pregnant. They just got pregnant. And that's their right to get pregnant. And then it's also their right to terminate the life inside them. But it would not be the end of the world for states to make the determination themselves. It would not be a mistake for society to go back to what it used to be in which we revere human life. We discourage the actions, irresponsible actions that lead to pregnancy and encourage people to be responsible, to value human life again. Instead of teaching the opposite, which is, you know, an unborn child doesn't have rights and you shouldn't feel bad about taking its life. Go out there, behave as you want, get pregnant, that's your right, because you can always just go and get rid of the baby, even if it's five months into the pregnancy. Who cares? We've lied to ourselves for so long and gotten caught in this trap. And this is what Ronald Reagan used to say about Russia, for example, and other countries that had no reverence for the sanctity of life. It leads to other amoral beliefs and actions and activities. It leads to an abandonment of, well, well it's almost like a gateway to other, other acts that are even worse and amorality out there. Because if fundamentally you just believe that the unborn child is just a, a thing to be destroyed inside you, well, how does that impact us going forward with how we view one another? How we view morality as a whole? And so anyway, you know, the left is going to act like this is the end of the world, that their rights are being trampled on. But how ironic, how ironic that these same people who are out there shouting, my body, my choice, I have a constitutional right because of Roe v. Wade to abort on a whim, to behave as I want irresponsibly, and then to kill the child within. It's my choice if I want to kill it. But you, you don't have a choice over getting this vaccine. You don't have a choice over your own body when it comes to injecting yourself with the mRNA vaccine or the J&J &J vaccine or anything else. That's not your choice. The government can interfere and tell you what to do with your body. But when it comes to taking a life, an unborn life, well, the government should be involved in that in terms of giving us the freedom to make that decision. So we'll see where this goes. We'll see where this goes. I'm not positive what's going to happen, but, but it would be good for this country and it would be good for states' rights 
if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Because if that happens, you can go to New York and abort your baby up to almost nine months. But if you believe in the sanctity of human life and you want to live in a state that, that, that feels and believes and embraces that, well, you can do that too. But anyway, this is Drew Allen. God bless you all, and until next time.